Hi there, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us on uh, this podcast on Holistic Leadership Academy. Bit of a put my teeth back in. Uh, today, I am speaking to a fabulous woman called uh, Sue, and she's going to be talking to us all about uh, stress and anxiety, really, and, and how to how to reduce that. Uh, so, Sue, thank you very much uh, for for joining us. Um, we obviously had a, a bit of a chat, uh, well, what seems like months ago now, just to kind of talk about you, you coming on here. But I think just, I suppose just from your, just from your bio. So um, Sue talks here about uh, spending 20 years taking waste out of business systems. Again, probably something all of us can do with. Uh, leading multi-million transformations, multi-million pound transformations in several global organizations and understands the personal and professional stresses of breaking out of the firefighting cycles and building instead something which really works. Um, and again, I think that's probably something we could all, all do with in, in all walks of life, really. So Sue, just talk to us about kind of what got you to, to where you are today. Why stress and anxiety? Um, a very happy accident, actually. Thankfully, not a physical accident. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd spent my career in manufacturing. I was very happy uh, most of the time. It is pretty stressful leading big change projects, but I'd always thrived on it. And um, I kept getting feedback that because I was starting to lead bigger change programs rather than just projects, that I needed to get more flexible in my communication style. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I'll go on a training. And it was one of those things, I just got a really weird feeling as I was thinking about it, that for some reason this was really important. And I'd heard about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, when I'd been doing my MBA. But when you're in the middle of a distance learning degree, you really don't want to be learning about anything else. So it kind of got stuck on there, well, that might be quite interesting shelf. Um, then I moved jobs and I had my daughter, so on the shelf it stayed. Mm -hmm. And I was having a night out with some friends. A um, friend of a friend was there who I've never met before or since and was talking about doing her practitioner training. And I just felt that switch click. And it was that this is really important. Yeah. Um, and I went back into work and doing my research. And I thought, well, you know, you keep giving me feedback about my influencing skills. I'll see if I can influence you to pay for it. Which went surprisingly smoothly, actually. Well done. <laughs> well, quite, yeah. That, that was a, an initial bonus. And um, I was doing all sorts of research about different training providers, and there are thousands. Mm, yeah. And I happened to mention it to one of my colleagues in HR, and she went, do it with these guys. And I'd heard of Paul McKenna, hasn't everybody, but I'd never heard of the other two guys she was talking about, one of whom was Richard Bandler. Mm -hmm who, of course, it turns out, created NLP. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I want to do it locally, and I want to do it with someone that I can follow. And she just said, no, do it with these guys. Why would you do it with anybody other than the guy who created it? Yeah. So eventually she persuaded me, uh, which she does with great delight remind me all these years later. <laughs> that was because of me, that was. <laughs> um, so I signed up for the training, which was about five months later. Um, I'd, I'd gone to a huge amount of effort beforehand and read a book because <laughs> I thought I want to go with an open mind. I don't want to go already having decided what this is all about. Yeah, yeah. And I was a little bit about wanting to do it for myself as well, but it was mainly to learn skills for work. And rocked up on this training thinking there'd be about 30 people plus 200. That was a bit of a shock. Um, and, you know, in he walks and starts telling all these stories that he never finishes. 
Now, I'm a completer finisher, and I'm sitting there going, which, of course, is the whole point. <laughs> and he says, okay, who in the room has got a memory that upsets you? And about 20, 30 hands shot up, and he literally just pointed at this guy, said, come up here. Sits him down, and the first thing he said is, I don't want to know what the memory is. So little Miss Engineer here is sitting there going, well, how on earth are you going to change it if you don't even know what it is? But he was just talking about the thing. How often do you think about the thing? How does it affect you when you think about the thing? And you didn't even need these guys' words to know how it affected him because as soon as he thought about it, he just slumped. Mm. And the, his face sagged and he just looked like he was carrying the worries of the world on his shoulders. And he talked him through doing what I now recognize was some fairly basic changes, but at the time was a total miracle of changing the way that that picture showed up in his head. Yeah. So he got him to shrink it and he got him to change its color and then flick it black and white and black and white and black and white. And of course it scrambles the pattern so that the brain becomes unable to run the memory as it used to do. But 10 minutes later, this guy is sitting there with a grin at the size of the Cheshire cat glowing. The guy's going, think of the thing. And the trainee's going, I can't. He said, well, I can remember what it was, but it, it's a thing. Now, we never did find out what it was, but you could see that he had changed completely. Apparently, whatever this thing was, was about 10 years before. Mm -hmm. So the whole time heals thing just hadn't shown up for him. Yeah. And I remember sitting there and looking and going, I've no idea what I'm going to use it for, but I'm going to learn how to do that. And it was pretty much the same all the way through the week. And um, what, what really started to become clear for me is that although we were working on a process that we couldn't see, this is still process engineering. Mm. So it's being able to, first of all, know what you want. Yeah. So what do you want to get out of the thinking? And how do you get there as quickly and smoothly as possible? Started working with it just with friends because, you know, at the end of the day, when you've seen those kind of amazing changes and you think, oh, I might be able to do that. It was a case of, do you fancy having a go? And thankfully, some of my friends were brave enough to say yes. <laughs> so out from the book the night before, and the, one of the very first ladies who I worked with was so scared of needles, she couldn't even say the word. And of course, everybody knew this. And our very helpful colleagues used to jump up behind her and go, needles, just to make her jump out of her skin. Yeah. So I said, well, I've not actually done this, but I've seen it done and I think I can. Do you want to have a go? said it might not work, but it definitely won't make it any worse. 40 minutes later, she's absolutely fine with needles. And that's lasted, I mean, that was, you know, a good seven years ago, and she's still absolutely fine. Even now, if she goes to the hospital for a blood test and there's anyone in the waiting room looking a bit scared, she teaches them what I taught her. So it's had this kind of ripple effect. Um, and with having that early success, really, at the beginning, it just went from strength to strength because it was like, great, well, what else can I do with it? Mm. I'd still no intentions of, of making a business out of it. But the more that I learned and the more that it worked, the more I wanted to know what else I could do with it. So, yes, it all came from ruthless experimentation, really. <laughs> As most personal development does, I think. Really, exactly. Yeah. Um, I got the training bug, so I dread to think how many weeks I spent in training rooms learning more and more and more. 
Um, but I think the important thing for me was that I put it into practice absolutely straight away, um, both for myself, for friends. Um, I started actually working on a client basis fairly early on. And it just went from there. And I think over time, it sort of evolved into um, the specialism in stress and anxiety. Um, so that, again, was never the intention. I still do smoking work. I do weight loss work, although ironically, quite often they turn out to be around stress as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, very often when I'm working with people with quite specific changes, it tends to be that stress underlies it. And when I started doing this, a lot of the people who know me from my engineering days were kind of like, what, what you're working as a therapist? Mm. I was like, well, it's kind of more teaching than therapy, but yeah, that's what I do. And they found this really odd. <laughs> but I was kind of like, well, I don't have to be remotely patient or sympathetic because it's not about the history and it's not about how that issue came about. Mm. It's about how not to have it anymore. Yeah. And yeah. that sometimes can take, well, you'll, you'll know, less than five minutes. Yeah. Um, which can be a bit of an anticlimax when it's something you've been carrying around for a long time. But it is so, so powerful to just have those skills to change your own thinking. Yeah, brilliant. So I'm going to, sorry, I'm just going to change something on my computer because this seems to be giving me lots of funny messages. So just bear with me a second. Are you still there? I'm still here. Awesome. I've just got a message that says I've got too much open. So let's see what I can quickly do here. There we go. Hopefully, where are you? There we go. Perfect. So with, I suppose with, you said, you know, sometimes it can take sort of five minutes. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I think everybody certainly that I come into contact with at the moment, and I think more so throughout my HR career, you know, you kind of ask people, how are you? Or, you know, I'm really busy. Yes. Kind of the busyness adds to the stress. It does. But also then here, I think kind of more and more in offices or every time you meet, you know, oh my God, I'm so stressed because this is happening and that's happening and this is happening and that's happening. And I suppose from, from your experience, I, I, well, for me, Part of it, I think, stress, 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 and stress, and busy language. It's just kind of what we do, um, or kind of how, how we feel, or how we think we feel. But when people come to you, I mean, would they initially come to you just say, you know, I feel stressed, or I feel anxious, or as you said, you know, they, they're coming to you through the smoking or weight loss? Do people recognize that they're suffering with stress and anxiety themselves? Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, so uh, sometimes so it can be, oh, I've got me in feedback. I don't know what's happening. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't sound it from here. Okay. No, I shall never <laughs> to ignore it. But if I repeat myself, it's because I'm hearing myself twice. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll just repeat myself. Anyway, um, so sometimes they recognize. So sometimes it might be that we're working on something very specific. They want to be able to give a, a presentation or a test, and that's making them anxious when they think about it. Um, sometimes it will be an anxiety that started on something very, very small and is generalized to all sorts of other things. Um, sometimes it's that somebody's had that anxiety for a long time, but they've now got a young family and they want to make sure that the kids don't grow up learning those patterns from them. Uh, more and more so now I'm starting to actually work directly with organizations. It's just people are mildly curious. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a skill set that perhaps people haven't heard of before. And I do put it very much across as this is skills training. 
Yeah. So this is how to use what your brain already does more effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has a great benefit because, you know, whether it's that somebody uh, wants to grow their career, so wants to be able to present to bigger audiences or has particularly di difficult individuals that they have to deal with. Um, one of the complexities, as you said, is that overwhelm. And the more the stress builds up, generally the stress is not often one big thing. It's lots and lots of little ones. Mm. Some of them you can change, some of them you can't do anything about. But the, the skill is being able to get back to comfortable so that the ones that you can do something about, you do. Yeah. Rather than it building up to the point where it feels overwhelming. And it's, also, it's almost like that stress acts as a magnifying glass that when the background level's quite high, something else happens like, um, you know, a, a traffic jam or a missed phone call that you've been waiting for for ages. And it's a really big deal. Mm. Where if that background's just that little bit lower, that thing might be a pain, but it's not that big a deal. Yeah. And I think we, we do see that all the time, don't we? Unless you said, I think it, it can be a buildup of of small things as, as we go through. I think just, uh, I suppose just as a bit as a sort of, I popped out at lunchtime just to kind of go to, pop to the local supermarket, just get a few little bits and pieces and newspapers on, on the stand. I tend to try and avoid news and newspapers as much as possible. That's good. Uh, but uh, this one was just kind of sharing, you know, sort of jumping out at me. So I, I don't even remember which paper it was, but kind of front line head, uh, front, uh, front page headline, about the fact that we're continuing to have this epidemic of teens that are suffering from depression. Yeah. And again, I, I don't know if you've got anything from, from kind of the research that you've done or, or, or any of the other work that you've done, but I think again, from, from my experience, I think sometimes we kind of diff confuse or can confuse stress and anxiety with depression. And I think, you know, particularly when we start talking about it with, with teenagers, no doubt there are lots of things that you know that cause depression and everything that that we go through but do you do you tend to find there's there is that crossover yeah i it, i don't tend to go for the labels um so you know if somebody isn't where they want to be yeah i'm really not too concerned about whether it's stress anxiety depression yeah they tend to blend into each other Different people have their preferences as to what they call things. Obviously, they have different characteristics, mm. but they can very often go hand in hand. Um, and I think that the thing about trying to label it is that people get a little bit hung up over, therefore, using different approaches for which of those labels they're wearing and so on. Yeah. Whereas if you treat it a little bit more holistically as, this is my thinking, and it's not yet doing what I want it to, mm how do I get it to, then it just takes that pressure off over trying to work out what it is, where it came from, when it came about. And I think the other thing is that if somebody takes it on at an identity level, I am anxious, I am depressed, that's a lot bigger and a lot harder than I am currently doing a behavior of anxious or I am experiencing some depression Yeah, is different to I am depressed. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think, again, we, we kind of see that, I mean, with, with lots of books and lots of conversations that I have with people, I think it's the same with, you know, you may have done a bad thing at some point in your life, but again, that doesn't make you a bad person. Mm. You know, it, it definitely escalates it. Ab absolutely. And I, and I love what you said there about kind of not doing the labels. I think actually, even when I was reading your bio, it was like, oh, I love, you know, I love the language 
because actually, you know, if kind of if I, I think probably that's how I would have written your bio. It was oh, lovely, like, good. You know, kind of my, my speak, I suppose, if you like. And and I think again, as a society, I think we too often try to find a label for something because then you know we I think we assume it makes it easier for us to deal with we, 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 yeah, we seem to think that it's a natural essential precursor yeah, yeah. it isn't and you know very often I, if, particularly with anxiety if I'm working with someone with extreme anxiety one of the early questions when are you not anxious yeah uh, or, or all the time mm. so it's like well okay if you feel like you're anxious all the time what about when you're making a cup of tea Oh, well, that's all right. What about when you're catching up with friends on Facebook? Yeah, that's right. And you whittle it down. Yeah. And that anxious might only be 10 or 15% of the time. Mm-hmm. It's really unpleasant. Yeah. But sometimes just that realization of actually, sometimes I'm okay as a starting point. Yeah. Because it's not then that you're trying to invent it from scratch. It's you're trying to get more of what you already have. Yeah, and again, I think, you know, as, as a realisation that it's not happening all of the time, because actually if it is something that's happening all of the time, again, that becomes a bigger beast to kind of try and manage, doesn't it? Whereas actually if it is 10% of the time, and you referred to kind of smoking earlier, I know with, with a lot of the work that I've done with smokers, and even just myself as, you know, kind of ex-smoker, actually, I, you know, to say I am a smoker, if you're only having one cigarette an hour you know, over, you know, for, I don't know, that takes you, I don't know, two minutes a day to smoke. We're only talking 24 minutes of the day that you're a smoker. The other, you know, 11 hours and, you know, however many minutes, actually, you're not a smoker in that context. And I think when you start to look at it in that way, oh, actually, yeah, I haven't realised I don't do it so much of the time. Mm. Somehow reduce the problem or the symptom or the cause really, really quickly. And that's one of the bonuses about breaking apart that overwhelm as well, because when you realize that there are countless stresses in your life that you're just dealing with without even thinking about, yeah. then all of a sudden it just makes it like a little bit different. Yeah. The ones that you're not yet dealing with still have to be dealt with. That's still not pleasant, but we take what's working for granted and almost brush it off. It's like, yeah. Oh, well, of course I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's such powerful skills and the, the, it, it helps take away that sort of all-encompassing attention of the one or two gaps that still aren't right. Yeah. There's a lady I worked with a while ago, actually it was on one of my consulting projects, so nothing to do with the mind skills, but she was absolutely loving the job. She was getting stuck into loads and loads of changes apart from she didn't get on with the boss. Mm-hmm. Now, she only had to deal with him maybe a couple of times a week, maybe only half an hour a time. But that in her thinking escalated to the point she was going to resign. Mm. And I said, oh, whoa, hang on a minute, because you, you, you know, you're really enjoying what you're doing and you've been so excited telling me about all these new systems that you're putting in and whatever. And she said, yeah, but I'm thinking about him all the time. And she developed this sixth sense for where he was in the building. And I've got to say, this guy was not the easiest to get on with. Mm. I've been at the receiving end of Toys Departing Pram a couple of times, but I didn't have to be there all the time. And she, she was constantly tracking where he was. So if he was heading her way, she could be elsewhere. Oh, wow. So it was totally consuming her. It really. was all the time. Yeah. Even if she knew he was off site for the day, well, he might phone. Or yeah. you know, there might be some other reminder. So it was almost like the, the sort of emotional equivalent of an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. That there was some kind of thing going on that was mildly uncomfortable but needn't be 
that disruptive, but mm. her system had reacted like it had to be repelled at all costs. Mm. And it, it was as extreme as, you know, having a major sneezy fit or a rash or whatever. You just couldn't see it. Yeah. And uh, so we spent about 10 minutes. That was all it was. Just working out a way to sort of keep herself safe from his energy. So keep him out of her space. Because I thought, you know, you're not going to be able to stop him being a prat, but you can stop it bothering you. Yeah. So we, we just put this kind of little separation, this little bit of a shield in place, which again was one of my experiments. I developed that for my daughter a little while ago. And um, went away and thought, you know, don't know how it's going to get on. And went back a couple of weeks later, how are you getting on? She said, it's really odd. He stopped being a prat. <laughs> And I, I kind of went, well, has he? Because it seems a little bit of a coincidence that this had been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And literally on the day that we had those 10 minutes, he stopped being a prat. And she went, hmm, now you put it that way, it does sound like a bit of a coincidence. So it had worked so easily and gone so naturally into her automatic thinking that she'd never given it a second thought. She'd noticed the effects, but she'd never made that connection that that was because of something that she'd done. Yeah. And of course, the less that it was upsetting her, the less spiky she was with him, the less of a pratty was then becoming because he wasn't responding to her spikes. And they started working together quite smoothly. Mm. Just in that change. And again, it's amazing. I know I sort of say to, say to my clients, and, and I suppose myself actually, kind of the only person that I can control is me. I can control my thoughts, what I say, my behavior, all of those different bits and pieces. But actually me trying to control you or trying to control anybody else is just not going to be the, you know, so I think my, my favorite kind of quote of all time really is, I th you know, kind of be the change that you want to see because actually I can only change and my actions and my thoughts and all those different bits and pieces, everything else. I have no control over whatsoever. It's very tempting to want to change the world. <laughs> it is. And I, and I think sometimes we, you know, we want to try. So actually, you know, if there is a problem with a person, I want to try and change that person or I want to try and change that situation, which again, I think, you know, I, I would have classed myself as a total control freak, actually, I think for most of my life, because, you know, I wanted to have control over everything. And, you know, I think I was in that point, and like we sort of discussed at the beginning, actually kind of manageable stress. I loved working in stressful environments mm. because actually it kind of, it, dry, it drove me, it got me out of bed in the morning, it, you know, it got me motivated, it did all of those different bits and pieces. But actually looking back on it now, it was really, really unhealthy. But I wanted at the time to try and control all of that. And I think for me, as soon as I realised the only thing I've got control over in my entire life is me, it was like, oh, okay. And it was, and it was like, you know, the, just that kind of letting go of everything else or mm. being bothered by everything else. I don't really think I had realized how much stress I actually was coping with. You spoke about those kind of physical changes from that guy when he got called up on the stage, but I was exactly the same. You know, my shoulders were up here constantly. I didn't even know that's how I was kind of living my life and kind of wandering around. But even that, you know, the kind of physical changes in my shoulders and my posture and, you know, kind of, I, I didn't realise I used to kind of, you know, sort of, um, what do you call it, kind of teeth grinding. I had all of that stuff going on, completely oblivious to the whole thing. Because actually, you know, I just really enjoy my job and I want to keep myself motivated. 
but just that change of mindset of actually the only thing I've got control over is me really allowed kind of everything else to just kind of fall away. Really. Mm. And the thing is with those kind of situations, there will be some of the external causes that you do need to do something about. Mm. But it's not spreading yourself so thinly that you kind of part do it on all of them. Mm. So, you know, for, him, for her with that relationship, it was such a deal breaker that it needed that focus. So it's taking, taking it down to specifically what needed to change. Yeah. And once she got rid of the spikes and once she wasn't doing it in an attacking way, she could actually sit down and talk with him and go, well, this is working. Yeah. This isn't. Yeah what do we do about it? So it's not, it's not just about being able to take it in your stride. That's really important. But so is being comfortable to then act on what you can. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And I think one of the things that we often miss out on is, um, you know, stress is, is good for us. Mm. And as you said, you know, it motivated you to get up and get stuck in in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at every Olympic athlete. They've yeah. had a fair amount of stress. <laughs> And yet they've harnessed that to turn, you know, absolute world-beating performances. Thankfully, it's not that hard for most of us. Yeah. We've just got the day-to-day stuff to do. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, and I think one of, one of the uh, research findings that I found recently, which I found fascinating, was you know, where did this perception that all stress is toxic come from? And it was research in the 30s that was done on rats. Which, you know, fair enough, that's where a lot of our sort of understanding of of human behavior originated was in the lab. But this guy was putting these rats through near-death experiences. So, you know, making them swim until they almost drowned or putting them in a cage with an enormous rat that would beat them up every single day. And yeah, they they developed adrenal failure, they developed um, digestive problems, and and quite a lot of them dropped dead. Mm. Fair enough. But he then defines stress as any challenge that the body faces. Now, thankfully, a late bill or an uncomfortable relationship is not generally as serious as nearly drowning. No. So it was this sweeping generalization, which he kind of did backtrack on about 20 years later. But the damage was done then because we'd already got this nice, because our brain likes to simplify things. We'd got a box to put it in, and the box said, toxic so what what i try and do with people is is work out okay what what gaps have you going got going on because every stress is a gap between the world as it is and the world as you would want it yeah some of them you can't do anything about and you'd like to just not bother so you know the 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 difficult client who phones up every now and again who you just want to be able to deal with and put the phone down and just let it go What are the ones that you need to act on? And what are the ones that bring the best out in you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I I had a couple of friends who earlier in the year, we had massive flooding in in North Lancashire. Um, You know, well, it was across Yorkshire as well, but these guys were working in Lancashire. And they spent two or three weeks coordinating hundreds of volunteers to give up their time to clean out mud damage and move people's furniture for them and help them get alternative accommodation set up and donating bedding and all sorts of stuff. Now, you know, having your house flooded out is a pretty stressful experience, but it brought that community together in a way that they'd never experienced before. Yeah. 
And there were several of the volunteers actually started looking towards a career change as a result because it was a case of I've got so much out of being part of this and, and adding value and making a difference and, and working hand in hand with these people. And I don't get that out of my job. And I want to. That's lovely. So what could have been an absolute, well, what was for some people a horrendous experience had that silver lining. And, you know, we can't stop situations like that from happening. Um, but the more you're able to sort of take that step back and go, you know, I really wish this wasn't happening, but yeah. what can I do? How can I close that gap a little bit? Or how can I harness it? Or what can I learn from it? Mm. It makes a massive difference just looking at it that way. Yeah, brilliant. That's a lovely, lovely example, as you said, kind of not... Not the nicest of uh, situations and scenarios to have to be faced with, but a lovely, a lovely outcome, I suppose, at, at the end of it, and, and a different, different viewpoint. So, brilliant. Last, but I suppose one, one thing for me, and then we'll, we'll um, kind of come on to your uh, survey that I know you're doing at the moment. How much do you think our, and obviously, you know, when they were doing this research back in the thirties, our lifestyles, everything would have been completely different. Our eating, our drinking, our working patterns, all of those different bits and pieces. But how much do you think our lifestyles contribute to the way we, I suppose, react to stress or, or develop anxiety? I think, you know, the pace of change has increased massively. Um, the, the amount of stimulation that we have going on, you know, we're always attached to our phones, etc. Um, there's been, again, various research recently about the effects of being constantly attached to email. Yeah. Um, that definitely can have a negative effect because our attention spans are shortening. And a lot of the problem, I think, is that takes away the awareness of what the stress actually is. It just becomes this background noise and therefore almost disempowers us to do anything about it. Because it's everything. Because it is everything. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not taking out, you know, and it can only take two minutes sometimes to just slow it down, to just take that little bit of indulgent time for yourself. Yeah. Not, to, not to try and stop the thoughts going on, not to try and step off the treadmill, but just to slow it down a little bit. Yeah. And become aware. And just keep that awareness of actually that specific thing is bothering me that needs me to do something about it yeah. or you know because the stress is there as an early warning system it's some kind of gap some kind of either a value being challenged or um, something that needs you to prepare for it or remember it once you've dealt with that it goes away yeah yeah so I definitely think there's a lot that that self-awareness is reducing. I mean, it's hard to compare because, you know, this is the age we live in. It's, it's, yeah. We can look through the, the past with a, a very polarized lens and go, oh, look, you know, it was so much easier than then. Um, there were probably stresses in the opposite direction then that a lot more people had very menial jobs and, and very routine, predictable lives, which today we would find incredibly stressful. Mm. You know, the thought to me, the thought of spending your entire life in the same town with the same people, I find incredibly claustrophobic, but that's how it was for most people. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so I think our definitions of what we would class as stressful have, have changed a lot. And I also think that because it's talked about so much, it's got this kind of infectious quality because it is expected that we will be suffering 
from the stresses of modern life. Weird, and that's what I said about the kind of busy, you know, oh, how are you today? You know, oh my God, I'm really busy. Yeah. And it's as though we kind of compare, like if I, if I say I'm not busy, it, you know, it must then mean that I'm not successful or, yes. you know, I'm not making any money or I'm not working with clients or yeah. my business is failing. Or, it can or very easily yeah. turn into who's got the biggest baggage contest. Absolutely. And I was Absolutely. on a train a little while ago and I, was, I, was, I couldn't help listening in because I'm curious <laughs> about these things, but there was this conversation going on behind me and it was these two girls who'd obviously not seen each other for a while who were obviously reasonably good friends mm -hmm. but for every single comment that was made it's oh well I can trump that yeah uh, you know my boyfriend's a pain in the backside because oh well mine and it was this <laughs> constant oh well I'll you know I'll take yours and raise you another one yeah. and it was the work it was the friends it was the social life it was the finances it was where they were living and this yeah. went on for about an hour and a half I felt drained at the <laughs> Like every other I was only listening. <laughs> now, I'm not saying everybody does that, but there is this tendency for the sort of either put the brave face on and, and, and unpackage none of it, in which yeah. case we're kind of missing out on, you know, support of friends and so yeah. on, or it goes the other way and it really is, well, my baggage is worse than your baggage kind of thing. Yeah. And, do, and I, I suppose then, do you think that is... I don't know, do you think that's having a detrimental impact then on, I suppose, kind of how we see ourselves? So again, I, I talk quite a lot about, you know, kind of comparison syndrome. So actually, if I look at your business, I may see you as being more successful or I might, see, you know, your house is bigger or your car is bigger or you're less stressed or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But actually it can get, and again, I, you know, I think for whether with, you know, corporate clients, businesses that I know, again, we both work with all the kind of one-to-one -one clients actually, if you're not stressed or you're not busy or you're not feeling anxious or any of those sorts of things, you're kind of not normal kind of at the moment. So actually you've got to be stressed about stuff, you know, so I need to be stressed about money. I need to be stressed about getting new business. I've got to be stressed with this. I've got to be stressed with that. And again, a lot of the, you, you know, you, you said yourself again at the beginning, like the thousands of training courses that you could find to do something, it's all that noise. You know, how do you know that you're working with the right training company? But social media is so, you know, you, you've got to be doing this program if you want more clients. You've got to be doing this program if you want to be healthier. You've got to be doing this program if you want this. You've got to be doing this program if you want that. You've got to be doing this program if you want the other. Yeah. And even just that, I sit there sometimes, I'm like, I cannot cope with it. But actually, if you're searching for answers in all of that, do you think that then starts to add to the amount of stress that we've got? Because we're constantly being told either you're not enough or you're not working hard enough or you should be experiencing these yeah, issues. There, there is such an expectation. I mean, when I started training, I remember a conversation with one of my friends and she was kind of like, I feel a bit left out. And I said, well, why? She said, well, you know, you're, you're doing this whole thing where you're, you're finding this new passion and you've got this whole extra stuff going on in your life and, and she, several other friends who've been through those kind of transformations. And she went, you know, I, I, I've not had this kind of revelation thing. And I was like, well, quite a few of us have, have either stumbled in it by accident or had to recover from, you know, major life-changing stuff. You've not had that happen. And actually, you really enjoy your life. Mm. So you don't have to go through this whole lose yourself to find yourself thing. If you've, if you've never lost yourself in the first, brilliant. Yeah, great. <laughs> and, you know, she's got a, a whole massively busy social life. Her work was okay. She was happy enough with it. Mm -hmm. 
she was very open and honest about the fact that she worked to live rather than the other way around. Yeah. And, but it was, it was quite a fascination because, you know, I'm looking at her thinking, oh, you know, what a lovely life she's got that she's really, really settled in. Yeah. And she's looking at me going, I'm missing something. Yeah. And it was almost, we, we converged on the same middle ground, but just from two completely opposite yeah. directions. <laughs> and again, I think we... Again, I, I don't know so much about the stuff that you did. We'll, we'll come on to some kind of hints and tips before we, we kind of go on to your, your survey and then we'll, we'll sort of wrap up. But I think we... Do you find, again, with, with the people that you work with, we're, we're kind of looking externally for the answers. We want somebody externally to tell us that we're not stressed or we're not suffering as opposed to, I suppose, having that awareness of, of who we are. So actually, this is me. This is what I want out of life. This is what I am stressed about. This is what I can deal with. This is what I can't. But actually, I think a lot of us, and again, I've, I've kind of, I suppose, been here and done this, and I see it with so many of my friends and family. Actually, I'm looking externally for answers. I want somebody externally to validate me or tell me I am stressed or I'm not stressed or mm. my work is good or it's not good or my kids are good or they're not good or, you know, all that sort of stuff. Whereas actually, if I can be happier with myself, yes, again, there are still stressful situations. I still get bills. I've still got mortgage payments. I've still got all that sort of stuff to deal with but I'm not looking for, for validation externally. Does that make sense? It does. And I think some of the time that's the case. And this is what I'm starting to notice as a difference now with working with organizations rather than with individuals who have already found me. Yeah. There's quite a lot of the individuals who I work with know that they own the answer. It's just, they've not been able to unlock it yet. Yeah. And so they've, you know, they've perhaps been referred by their GP or um, put in touch by someone else that I've worked with or whatever. They've got to that point already where I'm sorting this. Yeah. I might not know exactly how yet. And that's why I've sought out someone who can give me a bit of direction. Yeah. But I'm sorting this. I think that's quite different to um, some of the situations that I'm starting to encounter now working within an organization where they've been sort of pointed towards the program rather than they've gone and found it from scratch. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I tend to work with a lot of people who are self-confessed control freaks and or perfectionists. Um, and that's okay. I, yeah, I, I can do that too. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and you know, you said about earlier about the perception of other people's lives and, you know, you look at someone else's house or business or whatever, people very rarely portray their true selves. Mm. So you can't possibly look at somebody else and actually know where they're at. Yeah. There's another quote, isn't there? I think, um, again, another one that I love, kind of don't, don't compare your what is it don't compare your chapter one with somebody else's chapter 16 or something you you don't know what they've had to go through to get what they've got and and as you said they you know are probably 99 percent of the time people will only show you what they want to show you yeah you don't know how much hard work or effort or anything's gone into it as everything that's going on is coming out through their filters in through your filters um, and, you know, we get what we're looking for. If we're looking for the rest of the world to be happier, slimmer and less stressed than us, we will see it. Yeah. I see it every day. I've stopped looking. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sue, just talk to us then um, about your survey. I know you've been conducting sort of survey and, and research at the moment. What's, what's the kind of purpose of that for you? Um, it's to try and build a more compelling case to employers because with a lot of the big organisations who I work with, Um, They provide uh, support for people who are already experiencing stress. Mm -hmm. 
which to me is, oh, the horse is gone. Let's close the stable. Yeah. Um, now, you know, it has its place. It's better than not providing that support. But what I'm trying to do is help organizations build a more compelling business case for doing something sooner. Yeah, brilliant. So in the same way that a lot of organizations will provide leadership training as standard, I would like to see more providing true life-changing resilience skills training mm -hmm. as standard. Um, one of the problems for employers is that most of the sources of stress are not in the workplace. Yeah. So that last year's CIPD um, absence survey, the second biggest cause of stress was relationships outside the workplace. Yeah. Now, there is nothing that the employer can do about that and no amount of, you know, supportive boss or flexi time or whatever can take that away. It yeah. may enable somebody to deal better with it, but it won't take it away. Whereas the skills that I can share are, are invaluable for any type of stress. And, you know, like we said, it might not take the issue away, but it enables the person more choices, more flexibility for how best to deal with it. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so the survey is about, I don't, yeah, I'm an engineer, I do data. <laughs> I, I haven't completely abandoned my roots. <laughs> um, so, you know, simple things like it, it's showing so far that 42% uh, of people have considered leaving their job because of stress. Wow, that's high numbers. When you it? present that to an employer and go, how much does it cost you to replace a member of staff? All of a sudden, this, this fluffy little well-being thing in the corner that, well, yeah, we'd like to have, but we're busy, becomes a little bit more compelling. Yeah. And there's, there's and like, as you said, with, with the data, there is a, a genuine business case for it then, isn't it? Because, it, again, it's not just about the cost of replacing the employee, but actually if they are going off sick with, you know, with stress or anxiety or any of those sorts of things, you've got the cost of the sickness absence, you've got the cost of all of that monitoring, you may need to get the work picked up whilst they're, when, while they're not there. So you're either adding, I suppose, more pressure onto the staff that have stayed or you're having to pay for replacement for a period of time. So all of those costs really, really mount up, don't they? They do, yeah. And obviously not all of the costs can be measured. You can't cost measure somebody being in work but their brain is somewhere else. No, no. Um, there are all sorts of intangible effects. People are less creative when they're in coping mode. People are... are less good at problem solving and make more mistakes and mm. that puts more pressure on them and their colleagues yeah brilliant. so there are all sorts of effects as well as it being really unpleasant yeah yeah and it definitely is something that that needs to be tackled i think it's just as you said it's 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 costing a lot of money it's becoming a really really important thing and i think it is it is something you, you know i don't think you can say as you said that you I don't know, you've got stress in a relationship, but it's not impacting on you on work. And I don't, likewise, you can't say you've got stress at work, but you can switch that off completely when you get home. Because it, as you said, it starts to escalate. All the background noise becomes louder and louder and louder and louder. So it doesn't yeah. just then impact one area of our life, does it? It becomes this, it's, it is, and like we said earlier, it's kind of all consuming. It's everything, everything. Is it, can be, it can be, it just builds up and gets in the way. Yes, yeah, so we need to kind of stop that. So in terms of the service, if people um, are watching this um, on, uh, on the um, podcast, there'll be a link in the podcast to be able to complete the survey. Where else can people find the survey, Sue? Um, I'll be putting a link up on my website. So okay. that's fast-pathways.com. Yeah. And it takes about two and a half minutes. There's a, a voluntary thank you at the end. So if people do want to receive the thank you gift, 
they just bob in their details at the end and um, they'll get an email with a link to a, a nice simple audio exercise to just help take some of that background level down brilliant um, and there's also my ebook on why managing stress doesn't work and what to do instead everybody needs that one that means that definitely needs to be out there get your hands on that from Sue's website everybody um, so fantastic so how, how else can people get in contact with you because again I think this is just an issue that I mean probably everybody I know could benefit from, from yeah and I find that whenever I meet somebody new and you say well what do you do and I, I say I resolve stress and anxiety there's always this big sigh and this oh I could do with that <laughs> it is, and it's true you know I think like you you know I've tried to help as many of my friends and family as possible with what I do and they're like yes okay that's brilliant and then they, you know forget all of that because it was you know it was that you know we need something else um, or again, they just get too stressed or too busy and kind of go back to doing what they were doing. I'm like, no, just listen, you know, yeah. make sure you, you kind of keep it, keep it in there. Um, so yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, how can, so we can get you on the website. How else can people get in contact with you? All the details are on the website. So my phone number's on there, uh, email, well, contact forms on there. So if people have got very specific queries, um, there's information on there both about working with organizations and working with individuals. Um, and I, I work very much by teaching people to maintain their own skills. Yeah. So these are not techniques that have to be repeated. It's not something that you have to keep on doing to get the effects. Yeah, brilliant. I was catching up with a lady um, uh, on Friday who I haven't seen for absolutely ages. She came along to one masterclass that I did about four years ago. And she said, I still remember that technique. She said, every now and again, I'll just sort of give 10 seconds to this little little tweak and it still works. And it's brilliant to get that. I get that you know, a lot of the time from, well, all of the time really, I get you know, from clients that have really taken it on, but I think that really want yeah. the change. And again, you know, it'd be really interesting. You know, maybe we'll, we'll kind of have a, a, a conversation again in a, in a few months, but I think it will be really interesting to see um, the balance, as you said, between the kind of the organisations that are directing people to go to you, as in, you know, we think you've got a bit of a problem, you need yeah. to come and call. Mm. And those people that actually I want to do something about it and therefore I want to kind of actively go and go and look for somebody that can help me with, with this specific because, again, you know, you've, you've done transformation. Uh, but, you know, I, I, again, I think from my experience, sometimes you can get to, if it's being forced upon you, it doesn't always have the same impact because yeah. you, you know, it's, a, you, it's either, I don't know, a punishment or it's something that you absolutely don't want. You don't understand why you need it. So you've automatically kind of developed a bit more of that resistance. So mm. um, it'll be good to, good to speak to you again to see if you break it down any, any of those additional. Yeah. It's a bit like the mental version of a vitamin boost for the immune system. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll have a look at that one and see how we go. So thank you ever so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, so if anybody wants to get in contact with Sue, um, and definitely, I think, you know, if you can help with the survey, that, that's obviously going to be enormously helpful to be able to kind of get, get Sue to take the message out there a bit more. Um, so as I said, we'll, we'll put the link on the um, link on the podcast and on any social media from, from this. You'll be able to find the link on Sue's website. So that's fast hyphenpathways.com is that right that is, yeah awesome um, and then sue's contact details will be on there but uh, do take a look at kind of the the ebook um, and everything else that sue has on there so it's been a pleasure thank you ever so much for listening everybody sue thank you ever so much it's been a pleasure talking to you 
as with all of the guests I get on here, actually, I could sit and speak to you for hours about this because, you know, it's one of those enormous topics, isn't it? Kind of, yeah, we've got a good shared passion. Do about it. Yeah. So, yeah, but thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.